Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. Some residents who last year opposed City of Astoria plans for affordable housing and mental health services at Heritage Square are presenting their own vision for the block. Citizens for Astoria, Oregon, held a public meeting 12 days ago at Fort George's Level Showroom to present their ideas and gather public comment. Woodworker and business owner Ed Overbay is leader of the group and was the main speaker. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ed Overbay, and it's really great to see everybody come together on such a critical issue. This is the most important space we have in town, and it has the most potential to doing the most good. So this is really important that we get it right, that we collectively get it right. So what I'd like to talk about is uh, how we might look at some different areas of, of Heritage Square and how they may function in different capacities. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the nuts and bolts of placemaking, which is what we're doing here tonight. Um, and then I'd like to take some questions and answers and, uh, and then segue into, um, I want to encourage everybody to fill out our surveys, and I really want to encourage everybody, we left lots of blank space in our surveys because there may be things that we didn't think about. We want to hear from the community because this is a community space and it needs community input. That's what placemaking is all about. So we're, we're the Citizens for Astoria, Oregon. We're a 501c3. We are dedicated to developing and managing public spaces in Astoria, because we think this is so important. So we decided to start with a small, modest project like Heritage Square. <laughs> so ideally, this is, this is a, a site that will become a reflection of us, of our town, what's unique about our town, our history, our culture. And speaking of that history, you know, by the way, our history starts long before white men Europeans set foot on these shores. So to be clear about where we're at in the process, this is just the beginning of what we envision as a series of public meetings to gather input, to gather data, to gather ideas, because that's what makes, that's what's going to make it work, is, is our collective ideas. That's what's going to make it ours, not some designers. So. This is, you know, this is going to be a community place, a people-centric place, a place where you can hang out and not worry about cars, not worry about a lot of things. It's just a place for people to be. This will facilitate celebrations, all kinds of activities. You know, we recently had Brewfest there. We recently had other, other things there. And we, we started realizing, well, we, we, there's not much infrastructure here to work with. But let's talk about the site a little bit. Um, so we've done a pretty thorough analysis of the site, taking a look at what we have and what we, what we need. Uh, basically, it's structurally really sound. And like most of Astoria, it's, uh, it's uh, been a, a, a grade down below. We have a grid of pilings, which supports a grid of concrete posts and beams that supports the concrete slabs up to this grade here. So, it's hollow underneath. That's a great advantage from a developmental point of view. It allows us to do all kinds of things in terms of flexing the infrastructure 
as we need it. We don't anticipate that we're going to figure out everything right away. We anticipate that this is going to evolve. And as we use it, as different organizations take advantage of it, needs are going to change and, and perspectives are going to change on how we may tweak it. And that, that hollowness underneath, that allows us to easily adapt to things as we, as we realize that it needs to be modified and changed and more adapted to our specific use. So, so we have a lot of flat space, which is great and cost-effective. I mean, we, we're, we're taking a look at what's the most cost-effective way to develop this. So we're, we're utilizing the assets that are there. And then we have the pit. We have the hole. A lot of people look at it and, and despair, and a lot of people have a lot of negative thoughts about it, and, the, and the, it's the pit of despair. Hey, we see this as the pit of opportunity. What's unique about the, the, that location there, in contrast to everything else, is it has depth. From a design point of view, that offers more options, that, that offers more possibilities than anything else. That's what gets me excited, is, is the things that we can do there. The fundamental thing to keep in mind and how to, how to transform the pit into something that, is, that we really relish and cherish and use this is, like, like most things, uh, form follows function. How do we want to use that space? And that's what this process is about, about collecting information, about collecting ideas, about how we might, as a, as a community, best use that. So bear in mind, this is just a, a placeholder design. Nothing at all is cast in stone. But again, we're trying to take advantage of what we have work with what we have to make it the most cost-effective. So we're, we're, we're dividing this into basically three fundamental areas. Here we have, let's call it a theater. Here we have a, a plaza, and here we have parking. So for those of us that are concerned about parking, a really valid question, really valid issue. We're taking the existing parking here and we're rotating around the corner here up against the legion, actually we gain maybe a, a, a parking space or two. So parking is not going to be effective from what we currently utilize. What we also envision for the parking area is to put cover over it, make it into a pavilion. But what does that do? That, that increases the versatility. Again, versatility of the site, that's the key to making this work. It, the, the versatility is the is the key to the highway. I mean, this this is this is what's going to make it work in the short term, in the long term, and for generations to come. So, creating a pavilion there, and by the way, we're doing that. We're we're envisioning doing that in a in a very cost effective way, uh, possibly with retractable awnings that doesn't require heavy structure. We're working with the structure that's there. Those, those retractable awnings can flex with our weather. I, I hear it rains here sometimes. So what does that do? Well, look at the market, for instance. And this is what I'm talking about when I say creating opportunity. This allows our market folk to deepen into the season. This allows us to have uh, uh, events at the site. And if it rains that day, calendar said it wasn't supposed to rain, but it's going to rain anyway. We have covered we have a covered provision there. 
So again, it creates more versatility. It, it deepens the, the many uses that we can, we can realize out of it. So other things that we, 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 we realize that have to be there, we have to have restrooms there, more central to the downtown. And if we're gonna have events there, if we're gonna drink beer, beer there, we need a restroom right there. So this is just as the start. These are, these are placeholder concepts. We're working with what's there. We're utilizing the, the pit as best we can. So back when the Garden Surgeon Waves was developed, which, which I, was a, I was very proud to be a part of that committee. Uh, Swen Ho designed the Garden Surgeon Waves and then she was in turn asked to uh, develop some concepts for, for the rest of the square. And she came up with a little bit different approach to utilizing the pit and she saw that more as, I'm gonna call it graduated sunken terraces. Again, taking advantage of that depth. And, and, and realize that depth, that brings us closer and closer to what was the original river grade back, back when. So those are kind of different approaches, whether to make it a, a dedicated theater or to make it uh, more, a more of a casual uh, area. It can still be used in, in, in the, the capacity of, of theater, but just in a different way. So this is a view looking from the east, and so she was utilizing the, the what we're going to see as parking space as a, a part of, part of a, a pavilion, and we could, we could, I mean, she, here she has a movie being projected on the side of the American Legion. So there's all kinds of imaginative things that we can do with this. Our collective imagination is really the only limit here. And that's what we're here to do, is start. We want to put these pictures around here to start stimulating some imagination. If we get this right, this will be a transformative element for Astoria. This creates opportunity of all kinds for more people. It's the most equitable way that we can really create and build community. So that's what we're all we're doing here. We're, we're collectively creating a vision. And it's important that it's our vision, not just any one person or some, some designer's vision. This should be our vision. So what we're seeing to do is to collect our survey data and, and our, our collective ideas. Then when we feed these ideas in, you know, to, to qualified design people, you know, in the trades, we call that custom. Here we, we're going to call this placemaking. So that's what we're doing here tonight. Is we're we're beginning the very first step of placemaking. So I would encourage uh, everybody to offer their ideas, offer their opinions. Uh, we're not going to all agree, such is life. Uh, but we're going to hammer it out and we're going to get it right. So um, I'd, I'd like to. Uh, I, I think I'll just end it here and and start taking. Um, some questions and statements, and and and, and statements. Uh, please uh, keep them brief because uh, a lot of people may have something to say. So let's keep it brief in in uh, respect to other people. So okay. All right. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Some at the meeting expressed enthusiasm for the ideas presented and added some of their own. Others in the audience had questions. One asked where the money would come from to build the project yeah. and then to maintain it afterwards. 
-hmm. So that's a, that's the $64,000 million question. And so that has to, we have to take a very thoughtful approach to doing that. So initially, what we're, we're not asking the city to, to throw in a lot of money to this. We're, we're looking to raise this money ourselves, primarily. There's grant money, there's a lot of granting foundations that recognize the value of these public spaces and how impactful they can be for strengthening and, and, and maintaining a healthy community. So that's one aspect of it. The fact is, is that it's gonna be necessary to monetize the site in some way. That's a fact. And, different, and, and we've had the benefit of looking at a lot of different models of how that's done. Uh, Pioneer Place, for instance, that was a bit of a controversy when it was first opened up and I believe they had a Starbucks there. Um, not everybody was a favor of Starbucks, but it was a way to monetize the site. Now, Pioneer Square, for instance, they have some over 300 scheduled events there. And a lot of um, organizations are glad to pay some fees to be able to utilize that site. So there's, there, this, is, this is a whole conversation unto itself on how to do that. And it's, it's a key part of it that we can't ignore that we have to integrate that into our thinking from the start and we have. We, we recognize that the, the economics of the thing is very much a part of, of what creates the possibilities. So. We, we can't just go into this with, you know, pie-in-the-sky notions. We have to hammer out viable, uh, verifiable business plans that, that assure that this is going to succeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Another person asked how the group's plans and information would connect with city government. That's, a bit, that's kind of a tricky question. And that's a good question. Uh, I, I would point to other examples, such as the Friends of the Column, where the, it's a separate 501c3 that administers uh, and, and manages the column in conjunction. It's a partnership. And really what we're talking about is partnerships here. Community partnerships with various organizations, with the city. Uh, so. The details of that have yet to be completely hammered out, and that's part of the process. A questioner asked where the restrooms would be and how they would be maintained. All good questions. We don't know yet exactly, but but what we do know, what we do know is that's a, that's a challenge unto itself. Rest, public restrooms anywhere and everywhere are 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 a challenge for any municipality or any organization to maintain. So we're gonna look at a lot of existing models. We're gonna to try to figure out the most realistic way. Uh, sight lines are really available, are really important, uh, not only to the restrooms, but to the rest of the site so that uh, police officers driving by have good vision of everything there. Um, security overall is a, is a big question. Um, I intend to plant a lot of cameras around here, so if word will quickly get out, uh, miscreant behavior will not be um, tolerated. So this is a this is a, a place for everybody. But you know the restrooms are a difficult. That's a difficult question. Uh, there's a, we've heard a lot of a lot of interesting solutions. I don't want to get deep into that right now, but um, that has to be done thoughtfully, no question.
responsibility for the square who would have that. Another person wanted to know if the city's overburdened parks department would have to manage the square. We, we see it is necessary to, to create a management system and a monetized system that will offset some costs, some anticipated costs of basic maintenance. I sat for 12 years on the Parks Board, many of those years as, as the chair of the Parks Board. I know what the challenges are. I know what those difficulties can be. So that's one of the reasons why we, we have elected to take uh, not just not just to build it and dust our hands and walk away. We want to we want to leave it with a management system that's sustainable that will outsurvive us. So all those all those questions those are nuts and bolts questions that the exact details have to be ironed out yet. It's all driven by money. You have to generate enough money to offset those costs to achieve the level of security, the level of maintenance the level of, of upkeep that we as a community require. So that's all part of the equation. I don't have all the answers yet, but I have confidence in our collective imagination and experience that we can hammer out the best solutions. Do you have any kind of minimum number of like, amount? A big question was how much money would have to be raised. It's a really difficult question to shoot from the hip for. Let me, so I, I come from the building trades. I've been building all of my life. So costs are always dictated by scope. Scope is dictated by detail, what we're going to actually build. So just shooting, you know, just roughly, I think we could get a lot going on for $3 million. We might spend as much as $15 million. Depends on the details. So that's, that's a really, that's a, it's an important question, but it depends on, on what we forge, what we envision that we're gonna target. That will dictate our costs. So we're not, we're not there yet where we can actually do that. That's part of what this conversation is to lead up to, is to define what we're going to do. Let me, let me explain one thing. When, when we built the Garden of Surgeon Waves, um, we, I, I brought in Swim to the project, and she came up with this wonderful concept that was uh, way beyond what us local yokels had come up with, and it was perfect. It was it was grand. It was wonderful. We were envisioning something like eighty five hundred thousand dollars for what we were going to build, and then when we all fell in love with Swim's concept, it was two and a half, two and three quarters million dollars, and I I freaked out. And Swen said, don't worry, the money will come. And it did. It did. Because it was the right vision, it was the right thing to do. And so depending on the, the funding level required, you know, that's the, that's the uh, level that we, you know, that's what we will rise to. That's what we will have to do. It doesn't seem like there's a reason. Someone asked why the site couldn't include housing. Uh, housing as well. Housing at the site was considered right from the start. So the city acquired this property in 2003, and it was it was acquired uh, through a grant from the state, based on it being becoming a public space. And there were a number of concepts that were developed over the years. And one of those was that there would be some sort of at the time what was being considered was market rate condos because that would generate the most the most income. 
But here's, here's the thing, and, and I can tell you this from a builder's point of view, building a heavy structure that we talked about for as, as, as housing at the square is intrinsically more expensive than most other sites around because of the nature of the location, the nature of the ground, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes exponentially more complicated. It, it has been a consideration, and it's a valid consideration. Nobody's quite figured out how to really make that work. So we're taking the KISS approach. We're trying to keep it as simple as we can, but we're trying to keep it as accommodating as we can. So you're eliminating the possibility of housing there? We're not considering the possibility. We, we've that those possibilities have kind of filtered themselves out over the years. Can you buy in for matching grants? One in the audience asked if there is an avenue for fundraising or a timeline for when it would start. We're just at that threshold right now. We're the moment we're at right now to see if there's a community there there. So we, we have not initiated fundraising. We haven't, we haven't consummated a specific agreement with the city yet. The city wants to see if there's a there there. That's the moment we're at. I'm seeing a lot of appetite for this square. How big is your organization? One person asked how big Small. Citizens for Astoria, Oregon is, and what does it need? Short term, we, we need input. We need to start building our organization in terms of uh, Key, uh, key skill sets, uh, everything from grant writing skills to uh, various types of administrative skills. There's a, there's a, whole, there's a whole business plan to, to be fleshed out around this. So we're, we're small right now, and uh, you know, we've, we've stayed small because we really didn't know, we haven't known if this was gonna actually get legs. Good question. A questioner wanted to know about the brownfield at the site and whether remediation needs to be done. Uh, this has gone, gone through a remediation process and DEQ is satisfied. There was, there was marginal contamination there to begin with, um, but there was um, effective funding raised to uh, grants to mitigate that. And where it's at right now, we, our, our plan is to not dig and disturb that, because that's all we need to do to, to continue to satisfy DEQ's uh, concerns. So it's not a health concern that, that is, is part of our equation. We're simply going to build on top of that. And the structural? Structural, see, what, what we have there is our chair wall construction, we have post and beam construction, what we have there is not designed to withstand lateral load. So that's why you can't just simply fill it. You know, so if you were going to fill it, there's other ways to, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. One concept is to, for instance, if you're going to fill it, just make it flat, or even if you're going to fill it as a, uh, an amphitheater or even a terraced area, um, there's several ways that could be done. One way is a styrofoam block. It's very inert, it'll last forever, it will, will take tremendous weight. I've done a couple of projects with it and it's, 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 quite, it's quite amazing, but it doesn't, it doesn't represent any lateral load at all. So that's one way to do it. Other ways to do it is to, is to keep it 
hollow underneath it and build structure on top of that. But again, there's a, there's a piling grid in the pit that we can build off of and support structure. So there's a number of options on, on how to, on how to uh, build the pit out. Does that answer your question? We've been listening to Ed Overbay of Citizens for Astoria, Oregon, discussing the group's hopes for Heritage Square on the block bounded by 11th and 12th Streets and by Exchange and Duane. The group has a website at citizensforastoriaoregon.org. This is The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. KMUN's Fall Pledge Drive begins tomorrow. And that prompted my wife, Jan, and I to reminisce about our introduction to the station. So, KMUN is 40 years old. It started in uh, 1983. And it occurs to me that we've known it since it was 11. Yes. So how did that come about? How did we get introduced to KMUN? Both you and I looked for a job for the other when we moved here. And I won. You got a job. So I was home with the people who were doing some repairs and changes to our house, and they listened to KMUN. And that was Larry Nelson and his partner, Wayne. And uh, so I was lucky enough to start out listening to KMUN as soon as we got here. And what was it that spoke to you about KMUN? What, what, what do you think drew you in? Well, I'm a folk music nut, so... That was important. Jazz was important. The news is important. Uh, just the sense of community. It really let me understand more about how the community works. Well, I think that sense of community on KMUN is one of the things that really appealed to me, too. Somehow or other, listening to it, you felt included uh, in, in terms of the way, it, the way things were presented and the way people who were programming on the station became familiar and, of course, later on became friends. So that was a, a pretty important thing. And, and I also liked the fact that the, the news coverage they had, that we were getting the national news, uh, hearing, you know, hearing what was going on locally. And that was important, you know, kind of catching up on where we are and, and how it ticked. Those are things that appealed to me about KMUN. And Joanne Rideout told us about the river and who's coming and who's going, and that's still going on. Joanne has been been doing that for 20 years, and that's been really a, a wonderful gift. I have to say, too, that uh, I, I'm almost wanting to burst into song with Where's My Pajamas, but <laughs> to have a station that still actually thinks about families and children and the time of day it is, and has programming at bedtime for children that can kind of help make that transition for parents, for the kids getting ready for bed and going to bed. You, you don't hear that just anywhere. So I guess we would both say to anybody who's listening that uh, we hope that you uh, share our love and appreciation for KMUN, and we hope that you will consider during this pledge drive uh, pitching in with your support as well and even considering becoming a sustaining member. It's relatively painless, uh, but it adds up for the station. Yes, and it doesn't have to be a large amount. Just the fact that they know that every month your amount is coming in and can be relied upon. So happy Pledge Drive, KMUN, and happy 40th year. Yes.